0: Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the Podcast PD Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Be sure to check out all the other great education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in
1: three, two, one.
2: to episode 69 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook.
3: And I'm Casey Bell of Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, we have so many tips to share with you. I... I'm actually like really excited right now. I don't know, I know if that's coming across but like I creating the outline and the show notes just got me so excited. These are tips from the tribe. These are not tips from Matt and Casey. These are tips from you and they are the best tips ever. So this is my favorite kind of episode to do. I love hearing from all of you. And of course, you listened when we made the call for the speak pipe messages. So um, you're going to have to listen closely to see if your message made it in. Because guess what? We couldn't fit them all in. We had right. so many. It's a good problem to have, but mm-hmm. we did have to have to. And some of you les- left a multiple (laughs) messages so um we did have to be a little selective but um i'm ready to do this are you
2: i am so ready let's start there's a letter in your mailbox hey you know what this is all your mail hey maybe i'll give you a call sometime you've got mail Okay, folks, so let's dig right into this. So we've kind of got these organized by Google tool to some extent um, and some have more than others. So we'll dive right into the first one. This one comes from Laura Steinbrink, and she has a tip about using Docs. So take it away, Laura.
4: Hey, all. It's Laura Steinbrink, teacher, tech coach, wearer of many hats in a small district from Missouri. I want to share a tip about naming different versions of Google Docs, and this is kind of like the Save As feature in Microsoft Word. To do it, it's very easy. Go to File, because you're in a Google Doc. Go to File, Version History. Yep, that easy. From there, you have two options. Name the current version or see the version history. Why would I want to name the version history or the current version? Because it's easier to search And for a name, then a specific date where you made a specific change that you now want to go back to. So easy peasy. Just choose a relevant name for your different version, like edit, reviewed, Matt worked on this one. No, I'm kidding. Uh, First draft, rough draft, final draft, stuff like that. Teach your students to do this too. It makes it much simpler for us to go back and find our work. If you want to save a lot of time in your workload, Name, version, history. It's amazing. Have a
2: great day, tribe. See you later. Oh, this is such a good tip. And I feel like this is something that just not enough people know about. And I've, I've been working on a script for one of the presentations that I do, and I've been naming the version histories like a mad fool, trying to keep up with all the different versions of, of the script. It's been so useful. And I know this is something that can totally, totally be used many places in the classroom.
3: Totally. And where was this when I was still teaching writing? Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm going to move very quickly to our next tip, which comes to us from Evan Mosier. Evan is going to give us some great tips using Google Sites for Digital Portfolios, a topic that we just recently covered on the podcast. So take it away, Evan.
0: Hey, Matt and Casey, Evan Mosier, technology integrationist and language arts teacher from Davenport, Iowa here. One of my favorite Google tips and tips in terms of digital portfolios is centered around Google Sites. If a student creates a page for each grade level, then they could link to different subpages for each content area within that grade level. On those subpages, students could create a standard as a heading. Then under that standard, they could have artifacts inserted, links to important places, or personal reflection summaries. Then, by the time they reach graduation, they have a pretty impressive digital portfolio that they can showcase to potential universities or even employers. Love the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.
3: Okay. Don't you just love this? This is such a fantastic way to organize and showcase student work. And I love the fact that we're actually promoting this as a tool that they will see what they've accomplished by the time that they graduate. You know, creating this impressive portfolio that they can either share with future employers or when they're applying for college. So thank you so much for that tip, Evan.
2: Yeah. So we're going to move right along to a couple of Google classroom tips. So this one comes to us from Carly Mora from California, and she's got such a cool way to help teachers introduce new, new digital tools to their students without so much headache. So take it away, Carly.
5: Hi. My name is Carly Mora, and I'm from Concord, California. I teach computer science at Sinteris Elementary. And I really love using Google tools with students of all ages because it's so easy for them to collaborate online with others. However, when I'm introducing a new app or when I'm using a new app, an app in a new way or completing a challenging activity, I like to have students collaborate on an activity together on one device. So, for example, two students would be working together on the same HyperDoc, but using one computer. In computer science, we use the term pair programming, and it's a great way to get students to problem solve together and work together to accomplish a task. It also cuts down on the amount of time the teacher spends helping students because they have a partner to work with and they can figure it out together before asking the teacher. I just used this strategy in my son's first grade class as they were logging onto Google Classroom for the first time and completing a build a snowman activity in Google Drawings. I highly recommend using code.org's video on pair programming to introduce the concept and to show students the guidelines for working together respectfully and productively because it breaks it down well for them and shows them how this idea that um, from computer science can be applied in anything that they do.
2: Don't you love this? This is this is so great because you don't need that one to one ratio. You put two kids together on one device on purpose and you get that pair programming. I love that idea and such a great way to introduce it to to kids who are using Google Classroom for the first time. So, and definitely do head over to code.org and check out some of those some of those guidelines that Carly was talking about. That's such a good tip.
3: Yeah, what a great mashup. Okay, let's move on to a fabulous tip from Laura Steinbrink, and she is going to do another little mashup of Wakelet with Google Classroom. So check this out.
4: Wakelet is my new favorite tool, and the very, very best part is the seamless integration into Google Classroom. To use it with Google Classroom, All students have to do once they've finished creating the awesome assignment you've given them is change the share settings to unlisted. The default is private. Once you've changed over to unlisted, then at the bottom of the screen, you should see the share appear in bolder lettering. It was there grayed out, but now it'll be darker. Click it. An icon list of ways to share it will appear. Then click on Google Classroom. It will prompt you to choose a class and then an assignment. Pro tip, make sure the assignment is active first. (laughs) Once you select the classroom and assignment, it will then add it to that. So all students have to do from there is click view assignment because that button appears. It'll take them directly there, transport them right to Google Classroom to the assignment. And all they have to do is click turn in turn in, yes, it's that easy. I had lots of students turn around and go,
3: that's it? That was easy. Yes, it is. All right. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for that, Laura. You know, Wakelet is definitely growing in popularity and there's so many practical applications of this. So to use this in assignments in Google Classroom just makes so much sense.
2: Yes, absolutely. And so we're going to move right on to our next Google tool that we have tips from. And this one is forms. And lots of you wanted to talk about forms. So this one, this first one comes from Cl- Craig Clement from Dallas, Texas. And he's got, this is, this is sort of an advanced thing. Like I don't feel like enough people know about this. So take it away, Craig.
6: Hello, tribe. This is Craig Clement from Dallas, Texas. I'm the RCI facilitator at Garland High School. And here's my tip. I used pre-filled links on Google Forms for the paperwork that teachers have to fill out. Teachers were having to type many things in the form like student names, ID numbers, grades, etc. that I could look up in our attendance and gradebook system. By using that pre-filled link, uh, the process of paperwork was much, much faster for teachers. But I also got more uh, accurate data. Um, There was no more uh, mistype or misspelled errors. um, No more using the wrong names or ID numbers. um, None of that. So to do a pre-filled link, on the edit screen of a Google form, click on the three dots um, and then get pre-filled link. This opens up the form, and it looks like you're about to fill it out, but only fill out the questions that you want to be pre-filled. Then at the end of the form, instead of submit, it says get link. Then I copy and paste this link into a spreadsheet and do some spreadsheet magic that I learned from Alice Keeler. Um, The blog post will be in the show notes. Then I share that spreadsheet. Um, already sorted alphabetically by teacher name um, with the entire campus. So teachers find their name, uh, only click on their links, and have to answer just the blank questions. Then I also have a column of check boxes on the spreadsheet so teachers can check off when they've completed the form uh, for that student. Then Form Publisher uh, creates a PDF, and it shares it with the teachers and myself for documentation purposes. Thanks, Matt and Casey, and thank you, Tribe.
2: This pre-filled links idea is such a good idea, you know, um, you know, talking about ways to help people not to make mistakes and to get the right ideas and the right information down. It's kind of like leading people by the hand through a Google form and it's not that hard to do. And so I'm so glad that Craig brought this up. That was such a good tip.
3: It is. It's one of those things a lot of people just don't know about, but yeah. uh, what a big time saver and a headache saver too. So thanks, Craig. Craig. All right, moving on to a message we got from David Platt. And David had a really interesting idea for using Google Forms, not for a quiz and not for an assessment, but to survey your students and ask them, to review you as the teacher and give you some feedback. How well Mm. did you do as their teacher? Of course, this time of year is the perfect time of year to to get some feedback from your kids and see how you're doing. Can be a little bit scary, right? Um, And of course, he does recommend that you can still keep it anonymous so that kids feel the freedom to be honest with you.
7: This is David Platt from Covina, California. And my tip is, Maybe you use forms for collecting student information or for doing a quiz, but why don't you get it, use it to get information for yourself and use it to do a review of your class for the end of the year or end of the semester, and your students will give you great feedback on what you uh, did well, what you didn't do so well, and what you maybe need to change.
2: Of course, you can always keep it
7: anonymous, too.
3: What a great idea. Thank you so much for that, David.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the next one we have to share comes from Stephanie Howell. And this is yet another one with Google Forms. This one may be a little better known than the pre-filled links that we heard about from Craig. But this one has to do with response validation and how useful this can be. So Stephanie, take it away.
8: Hey, Tribe. Stephanie here. So my favorite Google tip is response validation. And this is found in Google Forms. So when you go to Google Forms and you add a new question, I usually add a short answer question. And then this feature is hidden. It's under the three dots. It says Description and then Response Validation. You wanna click Response Validation. Once you click Response Validation, it's gonna pop up um, a dropdown and you're gonna wanna click text and then contains, and then you're gonna enter what you want that text to contain. So if I'm doing a math problem, I might put the answer is 37. Then in the box over, you're gonna add custom. Here's where you're gonna add help. So you can enter try again. You could enter see me. You could enter check this Google doc link and then put the link to that Google doc helpful hint or Google slide you could add a YouTube video. So you can add all of these things to your Google Form. So then when the students log in to do this Google quiz on the Google Form, they get immediate feedback. It turns red if it's incorrect. It stays white if it is correct. Then if it's incorrect, students will see the red box and they're going to see the try again message or here's the link to a Google Doc, Google Slide or the YouTube video. It's very helpful for students.
2: Stephanie, this is such a great idea to really take Google Forms beyond just a simple blind quiz, you know, where kids put the responses in and then they submit it and then we grade it later. This is giving them hints and giving them feedback and basically giving them all of this stuff like right in the moment, right when they need it. So this is this is such a great idea. So totally usable just immediately. Love it. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, I love that you're doing it with short answer, too. A lot of people don't think about that. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to move on into some Google Slides and Google Drawings tips. And you know we like those things on the tribe.
6: Mm-hmm. So
3: our our first one comes to us from Joe Marquez. And Joe is um, – has been on the tribe before he was actually I think on early on maybe in the the in season one, but Joe talks about how to use closed captioning in Google slides in an unexpected way. so take a listen to this.
9: One of the things that I was super excited about this year uh, that Google came out with is closed captioning in their slides um and at, at first glance, you know this just seems like a way to you know, have that closed captioning on the bottom for an already prepared lesson of slides. But there's a lot of teachers out there that that don't teach anymore with slides, right? They teach in the moment, right? They teach like a pirate where they make an experience and and, and slides don't necessarily go along with that. But I still like the idea of closed captioning for every lesson or for every instance, just for those kids that, have that secondary modality of, you know, they learn better by reading or those kids who have uh, hearing issues. Uh, So one thing that I've been showing teachers is to just create a slide with maybe your topic or a graphic of your topic that resonates with what you're going to talk about and just leave that up and then hit the closed captioning button and then just talk. So here you don't have to have pre-prepared slides. You just have a slide that resonates with what you're talking about and the rest of it is there just for the closed captioning feature. I think this is a great opportunity to really make those lessons accessible to those students who, lo- who learn differently um, or who do have that hearing impaired um, uh, kind of learning style they need.
3: Okay, Joe, love this. He, he really is just talking about how we can just use the closed captioning as a tool all on its own, even when we're not officially doing any kind of presentations or anything else like that. So um, thank you so much, Joe, for, for sharing that with us.
2: Yeah. I love the flexibility with that. You just pop a slide up there, turn on the closed captioning and just go, which is so cool. The next one we've got comes from Krista Harmsworth and she has a great suggestion. If you're doing a shared slide presentation where lots of students are working in it, it gives you this view where you can see everybody's working on it all at once. It's so cool. Krista, take it away.
10: Hi, this is Krista Harmsworth. I teach fifth grade in Wald Lake, Michigan at Keith Elementary. And my Google teacher tribe trick is if you're having the kids work together in a Google slide deck, open up to the master slide sorter view and you can watch all of the kids working at a different time. And you can click on a specific slide to see what a specific kid is doing
2: or you can watch them all in general work together. Isn't that such a great idea? And that whole like slide sorter view, since they added that in slides, that's such a perfect fit for doing this, just to be able to put all of those slides on your screen all at once and just watch the kids do their thing right there on the screen. Now, of course, whenever I've done this with students, I like to, um, you know, make sure that I'm up and around and that they see me checking their stuff out and, you know, get to interact with them. So I wouldn't like totally park it right there at your desk and, and just stare at that the whole time. But it is a, a really, really neat idea. So that that was such a great tip, Krista. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, that's great. And that ties back to so much of what we just covered in Episode 68 when we're talking about classroom management and all of the different ways, you know, to, to kind of keep an eye on things and to facilitate digital learning. And, you know, I think this is a great idea. But, you know, also keep in mind, these are things you can do when kids are working at home. Right, you want to see? Hey, are they working on their homework? So it, you know, um, that's something I I like to be able to see what's going on um, after hours as well. So Sean Fahey has another Google Slides tip that has to do with the same um, idea with the sorter view, grid view, whatever you want to call it. And um, Sean left us a great little tip here on how to use this and a really cool add-on. So take it away, Sean.
0: Hi, Matt and Casey. This is Sean Fahey from Southern Indiana. I'm an Innovative Learning Specialist with Five Star Technology Solutions. I work with the teachers and students at North Lawrence Community Schools to integrate technology and create awesome learning experiences. My tip for the tribe is to use the Google Slides Grid View. When you click and open the Grid View, it allows you to quickly click and drag to reorder slides in a presentation. It is also a great way for you to monitor students that are working in a collaborative slide deck uh, so you can kind of see an overview of what they're doing and where students are working at. This is also uh, a great way to create click-and-drag reordering uh, or sequencing activities uh, in the grid view. Uh, you can pair this with a add-on called Slides Randomizer to automatically shuffle the order of the slides. You can then push out the randomized slides to your students where they have to click and drag and reorder them for a, you know, quick review learning activity. Or students can actually add the add-on and use this repeatedly to review or practice uh, their learning. That is my tip for the tribe. Enjoy. Anxious to hear what other people say. Thanks. Have a great day.
3: Isn't that great? It totally makes the grid view now something that we can use in assignments for students. So Krista's tip was definitely more on the teacher side. And now Sean's taking us into the student side and how we can use this. And I love that randomizer. I mean, what a great way to kind of, you know, shuffle up some things and have students put things back in the correct order. I think that's a fabulous idea. I love this, Sean. Thank you.
2: Yes, yeah, that's such a such a cool tip. Folks, we have our first student response. Woohoo! This is sort of a, I know, this is sort of a newer thing for the tips from the tribe. We've never had students leave tips, but this is the first one, and this will not be the only one here either. So this is from, you know what, I'm just going to let him introduce himself.
11: Hi, my name is Jake, and I'm a first grader in Northern California. My tip is to use Google Slides when you don't want the kids to move the background because in Google Drawings, the picture can slide around where you don't want it to go.
2: Thank you, Jake. That was so good. And that's so true. Whenever you don't want kids to move the background around, just use Google Slides and you set that... That background, you turn it into an image by, you know, you create your slide that you want to be the background and then you just download it as a picture. You go to file download as and you just download it as a JPEG or a PNG file and then you set it as your background. Jake, that is such a great idea. Thank you so much.
3: And I love the fact that a first grader can teach us this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the things that I always tell teachers, don't be afraid to let your students teach you because you know what? You can have a first grader walk into your room and tell you, oh, no, miss, we don't need to do this in drawing slides. It's going to work much better. <laughs>
9: OK, I can
3: just see it. Right. So and by the way, we are loving these student tips. We've got a few more in this episode, and um, I think it has sparked a whole new idea for the Google Teacher Tribe. So So. hint, hint, we're really enjoying this. Now, I'm going to move on to another tip. This one has more to do with Google drawings. And this is from Kathy Hink. And Kathy learned this tip from the ever fabulous Tony Vincent, of course. And um, has to do with removing the background to make an image transparent, something that so many of us struggle to do all the time. So take it away, Kathy.
11: Hello, Matt. Hello, Casey. This is Kathy Hink from the Seattle area, and I wanted to share a tip that I learned actually from Tony Vincent and his Google Draw class. And in this, he taught us how to use Pixlr, P-I-X-L-R.com, and remove backgrounds and make them transparent so you could have just your focus image. And to do that in Pixlr, you use their uh, tool called the Magic Wand. So you would pull up your image, you would lock it in place and then just choose uh, the magic wand and click on the areas in the background that you want to make transparent in order to have your focus image. And then if you have situations where the background isn't a solid uh, color because of the pixels, you could use and change the tolerance and that will allow you to then Uh, click on areas and just have your focus item. So I've used that a lot. All the teachers I've shared that with really enjoy it. Now you'll have your image that you can bring into slides or drawings and you don't have to worry about having that white box. So thanks for asking and I look forward to learning more.
3: Isn't that just awesome sauce right there? That is so cool. So Pixlr, or however you want to say that, it's not really a word, Pixlr, um, dot com, And um, what a great way to to use the magic wand, right? And to turn it into a transparent background. So um, those those little backgrounds can drive me crazy. I hate having a white box around something Mm -hmm. when I'm trying to work with it. So thank you for that, Kathy. And from Tony, thank you.
2: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So we're going to do a quick hit from Google Sheets. This one comes from Kale Steinbrink. Now, if that last name sounds familiar to you earlier, we heard from Laura Steinbrink. She kicked off the whole thing. Guess what? Kale is Laura's husband. If you, if inquiring minds were wanting to know, there you go. These guys are husband and wife. So, uh, Kale, go ahead and take it away.
1: Hello, everybody. Cale Steinbrink from the Plato School District in Plato, Missouri. I'm the technology coordinator here at the district. Uh, My Google tip of the day is a Google Sheet add-on called Chromebook Inventory, a super handy tool that allows you to download your contents of your Google console of Chrome devices to a Google Sheet. And once it's in the sheet, it becomes uh, very sortable on the various uh, fields that that are already in there, like the serial number, MAC address, and you can also sort it on uh, items that you've added, like the asset tag number, uh, location, organizational unit path, and those things like that. very handy tool also allows you to update the Google console uh, with the spreadsheet. So if you need to move devices from one location to another, another classroom, or assign them to another teacher or student, you can go through and make those changes in the Google Sheet and then just upload it, and then it uploads the device uh, devices in your console uh, very quickly. Uh, very, very nice process. If you've ever updated devices in the Google Console, it's very tedious when you have to do very many of them. The add-on also allows me at a glance to scroll through all the devices in the spreadsheet and check on not logged in in a long time. And if they haven't been, it allows me to go check on them, see if there's a problem or if they're missing or something like that. Uh, Great tool.
2: See, I'm so glad that we got this tip. You know, we, we get so much stuff from the teacher perspective, but I know that not everybody that listens to the tribe is a teacher is in the classroom. And so this is such a such a good way to be able to keep tabs on the Chromebook inventory just by using this this simple add on. So, so glad that you called in with that uh, with that tip, Cale. Thanks.
3: You know, I think Laura also spread some magic of her own with getting some other people to contribute through the four o'clock faculty PLN. And one of those, I believe, is Don Sturm. So Don has a really just quick tip, easy tip for anyone who uses Google Chrome, which you should all be doing anyway. Right. So check this out. This is how you can pin tabs in Google Chrome.
0: Hey there, Google Teacher Tribe. This is Don Sturm, a proud member of the 4 o'clock faculty PLN. And my tip is actually almost embarrassingly easy, um, but a lot of people I know my teachers don't necessarily know and they don't think about it. But when you have all of those browser tabs open and you don't know which one you need to keep open, employ the pin this tab um, by Selecting the tab and then right clicking or on a Mac two finger touching and do pin this tab um, or pin tab. And it is just so nice. It, it keeps you from accidentally closing uh, one that you really need open. So again, a simple, simple tip, but one that I don't think a lot of people uh, consider.
3: Love it, love it, love it. Use it every single day. I'm staring right now at my five pin tabs <laughs> that I have in Google Chrome because I'm a tab hoarder. That's what I am. So that's a great tip, though. And everybody should learn how to do those quick Google Chrome tips. Thank you, Don.
2: All right. Next student-related call Woo-hoo! comes from Luke. Luke is a fifth grader. And his teacher, Raina Friedman, and we're going to do a quick tip on using Docs and such. So go ahead and take it away.
5: Hi, this is Raina Friedman and Luke, a fifth grader at Jordan Jackson Elementary School in Mansfield, Massachusetts. And Luke is here to tell us a tip about Um, lists on Google. And Luke, what is your tip for lists on Google using Google tools? If you want to make a list, all you need to do is press Control-Shift-8. And why would I do that? Um, like, say you're in the middle of typing something, but then you notice, oh, I want to make this into a list. Just do Control-Shift-8 instead of having to do bullet list, then copy everything, make another bullet, copy it copy that then delete everything else and keep doing that it, it works way better and what google tools would you use this with luke slides docs google keep oh pretty does pretty much it, anything you can type does with. it work in google keep like switching between a list view and then just a note yeah oh that makes it so much easier thanks luke for sharing your tip with us
2: luke i got to admit something you just taught me a keyboard shortcut that I didn't know. I I saw this, and I'm thinking, Control-Shift-8. No, that doesn't work. And then I just tried it, and I push Control-Shift-8. Boom, turns it into a, a bullet. And that's that's such a cool thing. I'm looking at that 8, and I'm thinking those two little circles on the 8 kind of look like bullets to me. And so that's how I'm going to remember that one. That's such a good keyboard shortcut. And you know that I am a sucker for a good keyboard shortcut. So thank you to both of you.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. And you know what? That really impresses me that a fifth grader is so organized that he is thinking in lists already. So right. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so we are going to move on into a series of messages that we receive from Lance McClard and his son, Finn. Um, adorable. I'm just saying that. So apparently, Finn is also a listener of the tribe. So we're gonna kick things off though with um, a quick tip from Lance, who is giving us another keyboard shortcut for um, managing your tabs inside Google Chrome. So take it away, Lance.
7: Hello everyone, this is Lance McClard. I'm a principal in Jackson, Missouri. And I wanted to leave a tip here for navigating some of your Chrome tabs using shortcuts. This is kind of inspired by what Matt always preaches with using shortcuts to save time and be more efficient. So as you know, we can always open up tabs with Control-Shift-N to go incognito or Control-N if we just want to open up a new tab instead of clicking everywhere trying to open up our tabs. But one that's maybe not used as frequently is to use Control-Tab to switch your tabs, and this lets you kind of scroll through your different tabs without having to go to the mouse and click on each and every one. But if you have a tab that you want to get to, let's say it's your fourth tab, you can do Control-4, and it automatically goes to it. This trick only works up to nine tabs, however, so if you do Control-9, and you have 14 tabs open, and some of us may actually have that many open, It will only go to the last tab. So I hope you enjoy that tip, and I hope that makes you a little bit more efficient. Thank you.
3: Okay. These are great. Now, I use about half of these on a daily basis, but I don't always remember all of these when I'm working. So um, I, I do need to practice a little bit more and work on these. So thank you for that, Lance.
2: Yeah. I know the the control and the number to switch to the tabs. That's one that I've started using more and more, which I think is fantastic. All right, folks, you get to listen to Finn now. He's got a couple of good tips for you. Let's listen.
8: Hi, Matt and Casey. I'm Finn McClard from North Elementary in Jackson, Missouri. I listen every week with dad. We use Kittle because it Is like Google, but takes out some of the inappropriate stuff for elementary and makes it easier for us to research. I use Control-H to pull up my history so I can go back to websites I need from the past.
2: You are my hero, man. This is this is such good stuff. I love this. And yeah, I love I love how he's like, let's let's keep an eye on the web history to keep things appropriate for the elementary kids. I mean, even his heart's in the right place. You gotta love this kid. This is so good. So thank you to both of the McClard boys, Lance the dad and Finn the son, for contributing those tips to us today.
3: Yes, yeah, So it's awesome. So we've got one more quick tip and this comes from Susan Vincent in Louisville. Did I say it right? I know I'm supposed to say like Louisville.
2: Depends on where you're from. I think the people who are from there, I think they say Louisville or something like that. That's That's what I've heard anyway. I don't know. Someone yeah, will correct yeah. me, I'm sure.
3: Well, I was at KISTI a couple of years ago, and I don't remember anybody making fun of me. But anyway, okay, Susan, you can correct me later. But um, Susan has a, a great reminder about Google Hangouts. So take it away,
10: Susan. Hello, this is Susan Vincent from Mount Washington, Kentucky. I am a K-12 technology integration specialist at Christian Academy School System here in the Louisville area. And my tip for the tribe is to remember that Google Hangouts has an instant messaging feature. We all use Google Hangouts for conference calls, for mystery hangouts, to bring people virtually into our classrooms, but don't forget the efficiency and productivity that this can help with when using the instant messaging feature. As um, a coach to several teachers on four different campuses, and prior to that on seven different campuses in a previous district, my team and i um then and now use it as our communication tool because people have different kinds of phones um, between iPhones, Androids and other types of phones Google Hangout is a platform that we can all load on our phone and have a group messaging um tool right there in our hand and on our computer, our tablet, whatever we are using. And then i have also encouraged teachers to start using that to get in touch with me more quickly. Then um, emailing me or giving me a phone call, they can quickly type a Google Hangout. I have it on my phone if I happen to be in another classroom and I can get that quickly.
3: Okay, she's so right. You know, a lot of people immediately think of Google Hangouts just as the video chat platform, but it is such a handy little instant messenger. In fact, um, Matt and I use it every time we decide to record. Um, we share links and, and messages back and forth as we're planning. So um, great tip. And all of these are so fantastic, Matt. I, I love this episode.
2: I know. I I always learn so much from the tribe and I love that that's really what we are. We are a tribe, you know, of these Google loving, Google using teachers and we're all using it differently and we're all better together because of it. And when we can pull everybody together in an episode like this or even even when we're not doing this and we're sharing stuff on Twitter or we're just passing things back and forth, I think we all are better together and that is one of the things that I love about this connected educator world that we get to live in right now is that, that we have the power of the tribe, the power of the, the group. And so, thank you tribe for all of these tips they've been they've been amazing
3: yes and thank you for all of your questions and tips and everything that you've shared with us throughout 2018 you know it's it's such a momentous time of year where we really look back and start to reflect and you know matt and i are like wow we made it to episode 69 i can't believe you know we've already made it through all of these episodes and to look back on how much was shared and how much learning can happen. And it's all because of you. Um, all we are doing is facilitating and putting it together in a place for you. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with you, Matt. I think the power is in the tribe and that's really where this entire brainstorm came from as we we joined forces to make this happen just to connect and and to learn with all of you so thank you so much and we hope you all enjoy um, the the end of the year and welcoming in the brand new 2019.
2: Yes, absolutely. And so thank you so much for joining us for this episode where we got to hand the microphone over to you. Of course, going forward, if you have any questions or tips or anything to share with us, please do go to googleteachertribe.com slash feedback. That's where you can record these voice messages that you've just heard. Of course, please do reach out to us on the Twitter hashtag. Also, that's at the GT Tribe hashtag. And if you want to get connected to... Any of the stuff that we've talked about in this episode, if you want to see sort of a little summary of all the things that were shared, you can certainly go to our show notes at com slash 69. And so as we wrap up this calendar year, we want to thank you once again for being a listener, for supporting the tribe and supporting each other. And we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast.
3: Happy New Year,
2: y'all.